my most heartfelt welcome to you and my um, deepest appreciation for your coming here to Inside Meditation Society. Perhaps uh, most of us probably realize why we have come here. This is important to reflect, I think. We have come here <coughs> to practice Inside Meditation. Meditation is an English translation from the Pali word bhavana and actually means mental culture. Cultivation of mind. We cultivate something which is useful and more purposeful and more serving to us. So in mental culture we cultivate the mind to obviously to something more useful and uh, of greater service for us. And that brings us to insight, to a seeing into, into the nature of myself, uh, into the nature of my own world. We can also say it brings me <coughs> to a clear seeing of the things <coughs> as they really are or in, in the way to, the, to see the things in the way they are. The direction and um, a program for this practice we take here from the Buddha's teaching. Buddha <coughs> means the enlightened one, one who has uh, brought this mental training to its highest perfection. The Buddha was a human being who accomplished fully this training and gives <coughs> or gave, turned around and gave <coughs> this uh, way of training to us as a teaching or an invitation for those who feel this need to train, to transform or to make useful the mind. According to the Buddha's teaching, <coughs> mind is preceding all things. Mind is cardinal, is most important, in other words, in our life. It is the moting, motivating power for all what we think and what we speak and what we do. So <coughs> cultivating it, making it <coughs> able or endowing it with a clear insight into the nature of myself is important to know. It's important to know what this mind is doing, how it forges our action and how it influences it. Obviously we don't know this. We live a life ignorant of its real behavior, of its influencing us <coughs> and conditioning us in our ways of thinking and, and living. So without cultivating the mind, without a mind culture or training, we live, so to speak, in wrong ways of seeing of understanding 
Consequently, we live in wrong ways of acting or handling our lives unfolding. And that implies or <coughs> that implies that it is uh, not a, a, a life we really are happy with. It's a life which creates problems. Somewhere we don't understand the, tr the true truth about ourselves. So we find ourselves in leading a life which creates problems and the problems are human problems. And um, all humans share these problems. All of us here share these problems and all those who are not here join us. They are not so extraordinary problems really. They are not far away from us or beyond us. They are within us. They are just ordinary human problems of our daily life unfolding problems of sheltering, of living peacefully, of uh, communicating, of relating to life, of relationships, of harmony, of love, problem of hate and frustration, of stress. There are really problems of surviving. So how to live in a um, way <clears throat> that uh, doesn't create uh, these unhappy conditions for us is the great question. Is, <clears throat> in other words, <clears throat> and um, inside uh, meditation or the cultivation of mind is giving the answer. Many systems have tried to answer this question about how to live in a truthful way, how to live more purposeful, how to live uh, in harmonious ways. There is one <coughs> approach, the metaphysical, stating that there is a greater truth, a higher being to which we have to live up to or to believe. The Buddha, however, approaches the human problem the deductive way. Rather than giving um, That means uh, he's directly pointing to the problem itself rather than giving um, metaphysical statements of a higher entity or dogmas in which we have to believe. He points directly to the problem itself, that is to say, to our ways of living to the me and to the you and to us. And the real problem of all our problems is that of um, wrong identification, of, of clinging and grasping to something what is, is not the real basis, 
to what we cannot claim. Instead of allowing the mind to function through our senses <coughs> in its naturalness and spontaneously and intuitively, we let it function without examining it or screening it from its raw impulses or, <coughs> or inf influences. That is to say, whatever the mind creates and thinks, emotes, believes, expresses, insists, loves, averses, resents and so on. We, ad we, 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 we identify with, we cling to it, we hold on as real true, we, be we believe it. Same on the bodily level. We take the body <coughs> as our source of happiness and cling to it. So if we cling to something of a, what is immortal and impermanent as the body really is, we will inevitably <coughs> come to distress and disappear. So this craving and clinging <clears throat> and wrong form of identification is the primal insecurity of us and creates all our human problem and forms of suffering. And to this the Buddha points out, calls us to look at it, to observe it, to wake up to, to the true condition to what is really there, to the things and the way they truly are, they truly exist and function, does not point to something higher or beyond. He points to the condition of life as impermanent and to our identifying with them, our craving and attachments to these conditions, which is the real source of our dilemma. So, so um, his teaching is, is actually a statement of the way that things really are. It is um, in a universal truth, an invitation to look at it. He invites us to look at it, to come to an understanding of what is really there. So the practice of vipassana insight meditation uncovers the awakened state of mind. Obviously, this practice is not something <coughs> uh, what, um, <coughs> what suggests an escape from life, as uh, so many <coughs> um, participants um, often believe or indicate And beginner meditators often enter inside meditation practice with keen expectations of experiencing blissful or mystical states of mind. Occasionally, meditators even seek training specifically to develop supernatural powers. If, believe, if we believe the purpose of training is uh, of, of the... <coughs> The purpose of this training is gauged specific, specifically to yield altered states of consciousness. We seriously misunderstand insight meditation training. The purpose of cultivating the mind is to know the mind. 
in its actual condition, moment to moment. It is a waking, a waking up to its full, uh, full power, to its its uh, natural power and purity. And uh, <clears throat> and the calm and spiritual ease born of this um, waking up is the knowledge which gives us clear vision of the true nature of existence. but to namely that it is impermanent and that it is imperfect and that it is lacking if the person a person is lacking a, a personality or an I which is um, in a separate entity within us. So <clears throat> what we really do here is we wake up to see the illusory nature of the ego concept. The misery-making defilements of the mind are finally totally exposed in the powerful beam of mindfulness observing. And as we grow watchful and, and alert, the ability to delude the mind is gradually weakened. This is <clears throat> the unshakable coolness born of seeing things as they are. It is a refuge which gives protection in the diffuseness of the world. It gives, um, it's an awakening which gives us strength and independence and courage for relating to life around us in love and compassion. It allows um, the full potential of a human being to function on its own accord, serves the human being as well as society in a much better way than it so far has, <clears throat> than it does when we function in ignorance or in ignoring this. <clears throat> now, with regard to the practical training, this mental cultivation is full, full, um, this mental cultivation follows the same principles governing the mastery of any skill. Step-by-step -step training a sure, steady, sure progress. The perfection, the perfection of the mind requires the utmost determination and a most decidedly courageous attitude to pursue training through the inevitable confusion, the boredom and the restlessness It requires a courageous attitude to plow through the inevitable desires to the escape, through the necessity of disciplining the mind. The desire to run away is strong, and so the resistance to train the mind. And even when we <coughs> can have uh, finally applied the rope of, of, of observing and looking at ourselves. 
the struggle for freedom is intense and soaring and it's difficult to hold it in balance. Applied uh, this practice <coughs> too tightly strains and is, strains the mind. Applied too loosely, the mind drifts away. Easily the mind composes different assortments of rationalizations to justify putting off training to another day, to another hour, to a later moment. Sometimes, as we appreciate the moment of commitment, great deal of hesitation causes us to retreat. Let's fear awakening or come up. For we are um, approaching unknown territory and we wonder if perhaps it is not better to continue as we are. Why, question such as, why embark on such different training? Lots of doubt is arising, great desires to analyze and theorize and questioning. All these, of course, become tremendous hindering, hindrances and we have to, to bring effort for us to plow through it undisturbedly. Ultimately, the great incentive for training is our <coughs> growing, only our growing sensitivity to suffering and to vacuous <coughs> and the vacuous insipid nature of life until that time as we are steered by our own unrest the mind will be uncertain weak wavering and full of doubt the attitude of patience and willingness to follow instructions is of great help in such a training course the attitude of not hurrying and uh, permitting and not pushing likewise the space of silence plays also a great role and assists tremendously the training. We have come to see how the mind influences and conditions us. We have to, so <clears throat> we have to be subtle and alert, observing <clears throat> has to be very sharp and precise. And this can only happen when the mind is still and calm when it restrains and refrains itself from <coughs> verbalizing for <coughs> so we find ourselves exploring our own solitude and silence here where it becomes more available to see what arises in the mind the attitude also of respect is assisting the mind in this mind training. In cultivating the mind we come to know ourselves and that is really considered one of the most noble tasks a human being can perform. The, no, the whole process of mental training, however, would be on weak ground if it would not happen by an ethical code, if it would not be, um, if it would not be supported by an ethical code. Or, or sila or morality provides a certain purity in speech and deed 
keeps us protected from cross expressions in speech, deed and attitudes. To ensure this, at least for the time being here, we commit ourselves to the five most important precepts in the ethical code of the Buddha's teaching. According to traditional ways of um, beginning a course of training, the formality of taking refuge is asked. And this can happen on various levels. Regarding the inner level, we have the instruction to take refuge in something which is abiding, something which can actually offer refuge. So taking refuge means um, uh, surren um, surrendering to something safe and certain <coughs> sheltering too. Um, taking refuge also means surrendering to those forces of which we ourselves are, so to speak, the last transformation. These forces have, uh, in a way, become uh, um, obstructed in us through the uh, conditioning uh, for through the conditioning in us. So taking refuge means also to commit ourselves to a process of deconditioning, to um, break through this um, blockage. It also means uh, that we acknowledge the seat of enlightenment that is within ourselves. The possibility of freedom is acknowledged. It also means taking refuge in those qualities which the Buddha embodies, qualities like fearlessness, wisdom, love and compassion. Taking refuge in the Dharma means taking, <coughs> that is the second form of refuge, means taking refuge in the law, <coughs> in the way things are, in the truthfulness of things. It is acknowledging our surrender to the truth. It's an allowing <coughs> a willingness of allowing the Dharma to unfold in us, taking refuge in the Sangha, taking support or is, um, is, is accepting the support in the community in all of us, <coughs> helping one another towards waking up um, towards uh, the process of deconditioning. So, um, taking refuge into these three so-called jewels, jewels in the Buddha and Dharma and Sangha is ultimately uh, taking refuge into one's own possible freedom and um, one's own awakening. We will begin, 
the sitting practice with a very simple object of awareness, mindfulness of breathing. The important thing is not to move so often, assume a comfortable upright position, keep eyes closed and um, mind um, calm. Breath can be practiced in one uh, of two ways. When you breathe in, the abdomen naturally rises or extends, and when you breathe out, it falls. Keep your attention on the movement, not imagining, don't control or force, merely attentive to the rise and fall of abdomen. The alternative is to be aware of the breath to observe as it goes out and in of the nostrils, keeping the attention in the area around the lip, <coughs> the upper lip or the tip of the nose. Maintain the attention on the breath much as a watchman standing at a gate observing people passing in and out. Don't follow the breath all the way in or out. Don't control breath. <clears throat> Simply be aware of the in and out breath as it passes the nostrils. It is helpful in the beginning of making mental notes maybe, understanding, <clears throat> rising and falling and in and out, speaking, in other words, the concept to the corresponding action of breathing. In the first few minutes, see which object appears more clearly, either the rising and falling or the in and out. And once uh, you decided where to keep the attention, then please uh, um, uh, stay with that form for a while. Don't go too often forth and back. It is sometimes clear, sometimes not long or short, except not a breathing exercise. It is a beginning exercise in mindfulness. We do others walking or perhaps movements of body. The same accuracy of noticing takes place. We will see as we go along. All, however, whatever we do, are exercises in mindfulness, practices in mindfulness, in <clears throat> the skill of observing for the benefit of attaining insight into the nature of our being. The so the practice of uh, mindfulness to all aspects of our life's unfolding to all fields of our um, living and expression, expressions, is the actual working process of mental culture or cultivation of mind. And this enough for today, for the initiation to this Vipassana meditation course. Thank you. Means uh, practicing Buddhist meditation. In a general way, no matter which approach we, uh, it is taken, <coughs> which particular sect within the Buddhist tradition, <coughs> Buddhist meditation is always mental uh, development and not an escape from life. You cannot really escape from your own life, even if you try to do so. For life is not an isolated thing. It's not by itself, but it is a compound of things. It's underwoven <coughs> with the great fabric of the cosmos. It depends upon conditions that form existence. And when certain conditions come into combination, life is formed. 
Buddhist meditation is directed toward cleansing the heart and mind of all disturbing influences known as impurities. It is actually a very disciplined process and uh, it is a cultivation of the mind <coughs> and it is supported by the cultivation of such positive qualities as friendliness or loving-kindness, compassion or fellow-feeling, supported by the cultivation of sympathetic joy over the success of others and equanimity toward the vicissitudes of, of life, so as to maintain equilibrium and balance or peace of mind toward life, toward our lives unfolding. Its practice develops contemplation within mental calmness and insight and lightens the way to perfect emancipation of all ignorance of all wrong views and attitudes. As human creatures we need insight into the true nature of life. And by true insight, <clears throat> we mean right understanding, right attitude toward life, <clears throat> which uh, help us directing us toward life in a correct and in, the, in a positive way. Right thought or the right way of thinking is based on understanding things as they really are. And that is experientially, obviously. That's why we meditate. It is necessary and essential for us to develop our minds for the purpose of purification and penetration into truth as well as for the attainment of perfection in life. Life is not a, a really a mysterious thing, but it is something, but it is somehow and sometimes or most of the time difficult to understand. However, it is not beyond the ability and our intelligence to come to understand it rightly. Provided we have the burning desire for that. Life is something to be known and understood and not to be ignored. One major meaning of meditation of purpose is to contemplate reality. And by contemplate, I mean observe, understand the things as they are means penetrating into the true nature of things. See their real, uh, their, their real uh, um, constitution, their real nature, how they really are. Whatever you come across or experience in daily life, you should notice. That's the first step. Looking upon it see what it is, see the things in the way they, they are. You should further attempt to know how that thing, that particular event or happening comes into being and how it passes away, noticing the arising of course of anything what is experienced, in other words, what is seen or heard, or thought, or emoted. In vigilant observing, we come here <clears throat> to see um, the real nature of the things. 
on the physical as well as on the mental level. Each one of us has the faculties of ear and nose and tongue and skin, or body, of eye and mind. Now according to the practice of, of, of medi Buddhist meditation, our duty is to develop these six sense faculties that is to say, to see that they are experiencing the experiences in a right way or better in a pure way. That is to say, we should use the five physical faculty as instrument for observing the world outside and within. Through the use of our sixth sense, the mind, we can focus on the areas of ideas and thoughts reality is found within and not outside these faculties. Another meaning of meditation is to remove um, resentment, hatred, uh, anger, all forms of the destructive side of life, both material and mental. This side is really a very a great dominant uh, obstacle to spiritual progress and mental culture. And the function of meditation practice is to, to uproot them, to uproot it, and at least uh, in the beginning to, to diminish its dominance. There are two basic ways to remove uh, this, this obstacle, this particular um, destructiveness of life. The first is to be aware of it at the very moment of its occurrence. The moment we take notice of it, resentment will be kept in, in control. <clears throat> This is not to, to equate with the ordinary way of control as we ordinarily understand it. In the way of observation, um, it is by this is meant in the way of observe at the time of observation, this uh, um, unwholesome tendency. <coughs> these um, resentment and anger and so on uh, begin to, 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 to weaken. They don't have any more the dominance. So that is meant by control. And when we have come to such a control, we are able to find the proper reasons for what, we, what ought to be done and <coughs> how we should proceed and what ought not to be done. <coughs> This controlling power is gradually increased by way of keen awareness and mindfulness of the present moment. <coughs> now the second way of removing resentment <coughs> and anger is to cultivate and to develop loving-kindness and friendliness, compassion toward all living beings, toward any person one likes or dislikes, even an enemy. One has to be friendly toward oneself also, and also learn to love others. To love means actually to extend and expand in friendliness and in goodwill, in goodwill, through action and speech and thought. It can be developed to a certain li limitlessness. There is a special practice uh, for it, <clears throat> and a special type of meditation prescribed in the Buddha's uh, teaching called the Metta Meditation. 
but to that we come later. Now, to make the mind tranquil is another essential function of meditation practice. The mind generally is flickering and fickle, difficult to guard and control. It is like a fish drawn from its watery abode and thrown upon land. Obviously, such a fish will flutter and roll on the land as long as strength and circumstances allow. The wise person is able to train and strengthen his mind. Just the opposite of the <coughs> of um, the simile given by this fish. In the world of desire the mind runs away and roams about according to its own fancy in the sphere of sense objects. It's always reaching out, always identifying with the objects and world outside of itself. It does not rest content with any present object. At this level of consciousness one is really disturbed, quite dismayed and often disappointed. So then, since this is quite a great uh, um, happening in our life, we find ourselves rare in being happy and peaceful. The restless mind might also be compared to a boat on a sea, tossed by the waves and steered by the wind. The boat tosses up and down and sways from side to side. It does not rest for a moment in this condition. The untrained mind is like that boat, disturbed and uneasy. When the mind is properly trained, however, and kept in, in proper uh, control or perspective, you become tranquil and peaceful. The calm mind is still and quiet, alert and aware. Such calmness results from the practice of meditation. Now, in order to fulfill the aim of meditation, it is quite important for us to discard hindrances that stand in the way. These are lustful desires, ill will, restlessness and worry, uncertainty or skeptical doubt ignorance too, absence of joy and bliss. These hindrances retard and prevent one from deep understanding of reality and from attaining the highest perfection. Of manifesting our human potential. To abandon and eliminate these hindrances we have to cultivate and to develop such noble qualities as insight into truth, unlimited love, analysis, reflection, inquiry, imperturbability and in knowledge of wisdom, love. Now, when we uh, specifically uh, consider the uh, branch um, of Vipassana meditation within Buddhist meditation, we find uh, a similar trend, trends <coughs> how on purposes. However, specifically the Vipassana me method entails gaining knowledge by direct observation. This brings about self-reliance and uh, mental poise. There are a few phases in this process to distinguish. 
there is first the cultivation of mindfulness, the overcoming of sorrow and grief, or the ending of suffering and dissatisfaction, the entering of the path, and the clear comprehension of mental and physical processes. These are also called right views or right understanding, total understanding. They purify the past to ultimate knowledge or to right perseverance for reaching the goal of, of seeing ultimate truths. Contemplation and insight work together. Their growth is being promoted simultaneously. They work hand in hand. And to fulfill the intentions of this way of meditation, the four, foundation of my, four foundations of mindfulness are used. These are <coughs> They are the heart of the Buddha's teaching, of the Buddha's doctrine. These are mindfulness of awareness or awareness of bodily movements and activities, of breathing and of um, the posture, awareness of the posture second foundation of mindfulness, <clears throat> second basis for the practice of mindfulness, in other words, are feelings or sensations, third basis or foundation for the practice of development of mindfulness is the mind itself and its states, its mental states, and the last one, the fourth basis for the development of mindfulness is mental it's the mental content or the concepts, the flow of thoughts, but not uh, more um, more considered here the uh, uh, contemplation, the thoughts um, which concern the the practice itself the dharma's unfolding, so to speak. Now let us look at mindfulness first, in a general way. In the, in the esmological sense, it has to do with recollection, whereas the ethical and moral meaning is related to conscience and the break on the will the overcoming of egocentredness, in other words. It also signifies heedfulness or attentiveness and carefulness, sharpness of mind, too. In Vipassana meditation practice, mindfulness means full awareness of the present moment and present action. Consciousness focuses momentarily on physical phenomena as they occur. Likewise, momentary attention is paid to inner perceptions, acknowledging feelings, mental conditions, and mental objects, without digressing to associated ideas and subjects. Mindfulness is in this way a creative effort toward alertness and awakening toward to whatever arises while meditating. It also connotes watchfulness uh, of the activities of daily life, since in daily life we have the same things in, in, in us functioning, bodily movement, feelings, mind, states, and, and thoughts. So it cannot, in proper meditation, 
be excluded. In fact, daily life provides unlimited opportunities for the application of mindfulness. Mindfulness is described by various sayings. We have some of them we have even heard. Excellent indeed is thinking, careful before carefully before doing. There's also <clears throat> it's, it is also expressed in the following. The wise man dwells heedfully among the heedless, perfectly awake while others are negligent, leaving behind such one, such foolish ones. Just as the well-trained horse passes the poorly trained ones, we see that mindfulness is a quality to be developed through not only strict periods of meditation but also during daily routines, wherever we spend our days. May it be at jobs, at our jobs, in our office or factory, at home, tending small children or studying at school. Our everyday lives provide an opportunity to develop mindfulness. Now let us look at mindfulness of the body. The <coughs> principal object or the most uh, practiced uh, object um, in mindfulness of the body <coughs> is um, breathing. Is mindfulness to breathing. Noting the movements of um, the breath of your abdomen exercises mindfulness of the body or noticing the touch of the breath at the base of the nose. On inhaling the abdomen rises, on exhaling it falls. You mentally watch these movements and from time to time become aware of differences in the breathing rhythm. Breaths may mm, become deep or shallow, quick or slow, following natural tendency which should not be influenced in any way. It's important to, to, to um, remember this, to keep guard to it. It is important also to keep the body erect and the mind alert and <clears throat> Your body should be balanced and upright and not tensed or stiff. Rigidness and sla or slackedness should be avoided. They are really extremes. They don't uh, express the attitude of allowing and permitting to happen what is. Presence of mind is now the theme and attention should rest on the up and down movement of the abdomen or on the flow of the breath, breath its touch and its touch in the nostrils or on the upper lip and whenever the mind drifts or follows a random a thought acknowledge it and come back to the rising and falling movement mindfulness amounts to keeping up with the present real life is never in the past nor in the future but in the present moment only when doing anything, we should learn to live in the action, not in the idea or in the imagination. So in whatever we are doing, <coughs> may it be as an informal emotion or as within the frame of the formal training, we should observe keenly 
perseverantly, attentively. If we cannot observe clearly, you sh we should continue to be acutely attentive to the rhythmic process of breathing, remaining aware of the entire body. <laughs> 